You're in the vault with Don River. Welcome to the Vinyl Vault. Initiating startup sequence. Vangelis from the 1981 release The Friends of Mr. Cairo featuring I'll Find My Way Home featuring John on vocals. That would be John Anderson, ex of Yes, uh, ex of Mabel Greer's Toy Shop, ex of Little John's Skiffle Group, and also ex of The Electric Warriors with his brother Tony. He's been around a lot. He's played with a lot of cool people, including Larry Gowan, which we'll touch upon. He's also played with King Crimson, done done some work with them, some solo work with Rick Wakeman, acts of Yes as well. And uh, we uh, spent some time with him on the phone last week, so we'll uh, bring you up to speed on everything that uh, he's been up to, including his solo gig May the 25th at the World Guitar Festival in Ruin Noranda, Quebec. A solo night of John Anderson and Yes. Head over to johnanderson.com tour to find information on that wonderful gig. Todd Miller in the Vinyl Vault. In conversation with the man born John Roy Anderson in Accrington, home also to Julie Hesmondalg and Vicki Entwistle of Corey Street, weird coincidence, the man later to be known as Hans Christian for a short period of time, writer of the top 40 hit Easier Said Than Done, 2013 non-inductee into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame again, wayward member of the Electric Warriors and Mabel Greer's Toy Shop, which I have to say is quite a quite a great band name. The vocal half of John and Vangelis, a passionate painter, and finally, lead washboard player in Little John's Skiffle Group, John Anderson. John, that's me. That's you. So, uh, what, um, what we're here talking about today is the World Guitar Festival on May the 25th in Rouen-Noranda, Quebec. That's an acoustic evening with John, and I believe some tickets are still available, and I have to remember to buy mine right after this call. John, are there any other dates in North America on the horizon for you? No, not till next year. I just uh, was asked to do this concert, and I thought I'd love to go to Canada again. I love going to Canada. So it sounds like a good uh, experience, and I'm just going to have a lot of fun. And the World Guitar Festival, that's pretty cool. Um, Some listeners sent in some questions, but I want to start the interview with one of my own questions. Um, Have you ever received any fashion advice from Rick Wakeman, specifically regarding the need for you to wear a cape? (laughs) Rick has got the worst fashion style in the world. It's funny, I seem to be interviewing a lot of people that have entered Rick's orbit at some point in his his life, and so I'm I'm asking everyone, has he tried to put a cape on you? Well, it's so funny, Uh, I did uh, some concerts with the School of Rock Kids in Philadelphia, and the keyboard player brought a cape, and I said, put it on, you gotta wear it, not many people do. Yeah, and I think he might even have been wearing platform shoes at some point, but we'll never know, he was hidden behind all those keyboards. Oh, he's a ridiculously wonderful guy. We're going to talk about School of Rock a little bit later. We have some uh, involvement with the first School of Rock up here in Canada. But I want to ask you, what what do you consider to be your first real public performance? And did it involve washboard playing? No. Actually, uh, the first gig that I ever did was in a small working men's club about 10 miles from Accrington. And... Uh, 
I got up and sang with the group, the Warriors. And my, it was my brother's band. And they just asked me to get up and sing a couple of songs. And we did uh, a couple of Beverly Brothers songs. And I sang um, Eddie Cochran's song. And I, everybody was boozing and drinking and waiting for the stripper. So it didn't really matter. <laughs> I was going to ask you about the Warriors, about what, what musical style did they specialize in. But you, you named a couple there, the Everly Brothers. So was it an acoustic duo or was it a full band? No, it was a full band. And, uh, you know, I joined the group at the beginning of 1963. And uh, me and my brother went to see the Beatles play. They just released the first song, uh, Love Me Do, on the radio. So... My brother wanted to see them, so it was only about 30 miles away, a place called Southport, uh, just north of Liverpool. So we went to see them, and we heard them play their whole album, their first album. And, of course, they were amazing. And from that moment, uh, we just wanted to be Beatles. We played at the Cavern that uh, November, uh, did some uh, Monday uh, lunchtime and evening sessions for, for the whole of November, uh, we didn't get paid because you're playing at the cavern, so you don't get paid. No. But it was it, it was great because we you know we used to do Beatles songs by then and a couple of the Rolling Stones songs and whatever was in the hit parade. It must have been pretty special to play the same stage as, as your musical idols. It was unbelievable. Uh, you know, I've still got photographs of that moment in time and uh, great memories. You know, we played at the cavern for about three years on and off. Very cool. Well, thankfully, your previous career choices as a lorry driver, farmhand, or milkman did not pan out for you and for us. But I was doing some research, and it seemed that you were really big into football, and I'm sure that's one that you would have probably loved to to uh, have a shot at. Well, like like most uh, kids, you know, you want to play for your local team, and the team was Accrington Stanley, and the claim to fame that it was one of the first eleven teams in the first league that was ever created in, uh, in England, which is like 1873, I think it was. Incredible. Um, so the Warriors, you were, it was a co-lead vocalist. It was your brother's band, as you said, but you were both singing in the band. Yeah. And, and, later yeah. on, and later on in your life, too, you got into a different incarnation of Yes, where there was more than one lead singer. But we'll touch upon that in a moment. But so... The, the Warriors was an enjoyable time for you on being on stage with your brother? Of course. You know, it was like um, anything is better than work. <laughs> That's true. Anything music is better than work. Can you take us back for a moment to 1969 when those first few chords of, of looking around were being dressed up by the band? And maybe you perhaps had an inkling that you were onto something quite different from other music at the time? Yeah, we started to uh, rehearse at the beginning of 68, and uh, I think when we started to rehearse, I started writing songs as though there was, uh, I don't know, I just started writing. And uh, Chris was there helping, and Peter Banks, and uh, Tony Kay, of course, Bill Bluford. And we used to really uh, come up with ideas together, and I was sort of like, Hey, I'm the singer. What am I going to do? Sit around and smoke or drink? No. I wanted to be part of the group, so I would try and sort of uh, design ideas for them to play. You know, I, I had some ideas that I, in my head, and I'd come up with ideas for introductions and middle sections, and uh, that's the way it worked with Yes. You know, there, there I was. I was working with these very talented people, and I was able, they were lis- listening to what I had to say, I was listening to a lot of different kinds of music in 68, 69. So that's why a lot of the music we were doing was kind of different, you know. And we felt we felt that we were doing so much uh, new kind of music. And then we went to see King Crimson do their first show. And I looked at Chris and said, back to the drawing board. <laughs>
that would be a yes. That would be a defining moment where you said, "Hmm, scratch everything we've done so far. We need to reinvent ourselves." Yeah, and we did. We worked so damn hard for the next year, and of course, by then we we had a lot of following around England. We started doing shows in Europe, and that's when you realize people are talking about the band, uh, people are hearing about the band, and uh, you start to go along that strange but incredible road to success. Um, I was having a chat with Steve Hackett of Genesis a few weeks ago, and, and we had this discussion about what progressive rock was. And I don't know if, yes, fits into the progressive definition or not, but I'm I'm fond of everything that it, it, tried to, it tries to encapsulate. And I think Yes was like that, too, where you brought in a little symphonic, a little classical, a little jazz, a little, uh, you know, uh, acoustic music. It was a nice melting pot of musical styles. Well, that was the idea. You know, you, you have... We weren't all from the same town. We, we weren't all sort of brought up on rhythm and blues. You know, you, you had Bill Bruford, a very jazz-style drummer. Uh, Chris was a very musical bass player, very unusual. Uh, by the time Steve joined, he was a guy who could play classical music, classical guitar, as well as electric guitar and Spanish and 12-string, and ukulele, and all sorts of guitars. And then, of course, by the time Rick joined, we were really a fully-fledged stylistic band that really had no boundaries. And we weren't sort of R&B. We were very... Everybody had a different place. So whenever we created music, we created this yes music. You you mentioned that... uh you wanted to be part of the band and the band was a collective, a writing, you know, collective. Um, flipping that for a second, was Yes ever a wild party band? Did they ever get into trouble or trash hotel rooms? I think we tried to twice. It didn't work. <laughs> didn't quite work out. No, no, no. We were just more, strangely enough, we were very, very into creating music and creating our own style and our, our own, own pathway, if you like, you know? So constructive, not deconstructive. Yeah. Do you have a favorite Yes song? And and why is it your favorite Yes song, if you do? Well, there's so many, of course. You know, I, I sing a lot on my show. Uh, Starship Trooper, Long Distance Runaround, Yours is Not It's Grace, and You and I. Oh, boy. It, it's kind of endless to me because I just love uh, the songs that I was able to write for the band. And I love listening to Awaken. I think Awaken is probably my favorite uh, my favorite piece of yes music. It's, it's about 16 minutes long, and it takes you on this incredible journey. I've, I've heard it described to songwriters where they, you know, they're asked to pick their favorite song, and it's like asking them to choose which of their children is their favorite. Um, and I understand that. It's tough choosing one. Yeah. Um, yes, to me, has at least two very distinct phases, what I like to call the 70s progressive juggernaut, and then the 80s radio-friendly version. Was it difficult for you to adapt to that less is more attitude during the Trevor Rabin years where maybe you were trying to write a little bit more radio-friendly music? I was never really convinced it was the right path to take. Uh, of course, when 9125 happened, most of the music was already created before I sang on it and wrote the lyrics and things. But the production was very, very unique and revolutionary by Trevor Horn. And, of course, um, I felt that it was a, a very great um, departure uh, for the band to take, to go very uh, modern and uh, electronic and sampled music and things. The stage show that we did doing the 90125 uh, tour was, to me, it was tremendous, and it was kind of amazing to be part of that. But at the back of my mind, I wasn't that convinced of trying to make another hit album. But, of course, Chris and Trevor wanted to do another hit album, and they tried and tried for three years, and they did Big big Generator. I joined in, of course, but it wasn't my idea of, uh, of uh, yes music, if you like. So I did an album called uh, Anderson Blue from Wakeman and How to convince myself this is the kind of yes music where it's it's not 
decided whether it's good or bad by the radio or, or by what uh, the record company decides to spend money on to make it a hit. It, right. it decides itself through its own good uh, structural uh, musical uh, identity. Absolutely. And uh, I'm holding Talk in front of me. That was another album that was done by almost the same lineup. And I think that's a very underrated album. I, I quite enjoy it. I, lo- I love Talk. I'm, I'm hoping to, I'm trying to get around the writing for acoustic guitar, one of the songs for my tour later uh, the next year. But I talk to Trevor about it every now and again that I'd love to go on tour with him and maybe Rick and, and some other guys who want to join in and do that album because it was such a beautiful album. And the saddest thing was the, the record company just had no idea how to promote the music. It was just so different. Don't you know it's my way out to be on my own When I feel like
It really was. There were some some moments on there that took me back to the, the classic lineup and and just wonderful album. Um, speaking of Anderson, Bruford, Wakeman, and Howe, I was interviewing Julian Kolbeck last year, and he was brought on board to, as he, in his words, play keyboard parts 10 to 15 that Rick couldn't play by himself. But he volunteered that the tour was fairly happy. How did that project come together, and was it a bit strange touring at the same time as Yes, as they were known? Well, not really. Um, I was asked to put together an album, uh, of, of just do an album. And uh, I said to um, the, the record company guy, uh, he's famous, I can't remember his name, but uh, I said, you know, I'm going to go and work with Steve and Rick and Bill maybe. And he said, oh, perfect. Uh, can we call it Yes? And I said, no, it's, it's, we're just going to make some music. We're not going to try and be Yes but we're going to make some good music. And uh, I spent a few days with each guy, and I, I sort of gleaned ideas from them. And then I worked on the album and created a sort of uh, demo of the album to present to the guys in the group. And then we played on it, we performed it, and uh, recorded it. And uh, it, was, it was really great for me because I was in charge, if you like. Uh, and, and my dream of being in charge is to be able to make sure everybody has a good time and, and is in a great creative mode, you know, and uh, it worked. It was a very well-received album and a really good tour. It was, and I think uh, I, I like your vision that you were more of a director versus a dictator where you were trying to ensure that everybody was fulfilling their potential but also having a good time doing it. Yeah, I've always been that way. I haven't changed at all. It's always <laughs> the outside influences that sometimes can kind of uh, really mess around with groups. Uh, you know, the management, record company, you know, they all want money, money, hit records, money, money, and stuff. And that can unhinge a group of musicians. It can, it can sort of split them up. And it, it happens quite a lot. And, uh, to keep everybody together, it, it's got to be the music that solidifies the unit. And that's part of what I dreamed of, always working with the band create an album of music that people, uh, when we go on stage especially, because it was always created for stage. I don't think we ever really went in to make, uh, let's make an album. No, we wanted to make new music for stage. Yeah, it's not like you want to just get a gold record and put it up on your wall. You want to, you want to tour it so that people can actually enjoy it in person. Yeah, and, and then, as you know, you make a record, it's like, it's in its infancy when you create it and then you take it on the road, it really blossoms musically. One thing that that band that you used to play in called Yes has done very successfully, and I'm talking about the, the incarnations that you've been part of, is, is being able to produce engaging material from the members that make up that particular incarnation. For example, The Meeting is a wonderful track that rests comfortably alongside with music created by the quote-unquote classic lineup. And according to my research, there's been almost 20 different, sorry, 30 different incarnations of Yes in its various lifespan. Well, the idea of Yes has always been music first, and then business comes later, and the music will drive the engine and make it work. And sometimes uh, it's worked incredible, and sometimes not so incredible, but at least it's always been down to just the music first and foremost. And uh, when I've been around, anyway, and uh, I think that works. You know, you work with people and uh, create music. It's incredible to be able to create music in your life. It's, it's unbelievable. I absolutely understand that for sure. I'd like to switch gears here for a second. Um, does the name Evangelos Odysseus Papathanasiou mean anything to you? Well, Vangelis. Yes. Somebody gave me two albums uh, in 1972. One was by Vangelis Papathanasu. The other one was by Ilan Mimoroglu. And uh, it took me ages to be able to say those words. Ah, yes, me too. Well, Vangelis was an incredible, uh, like my friend, like a teacher to me. There's a wonderful picture on the on the back of the Greatest Hits album where he's got his arms resting on your shoulders and, and he's it's got that kind of um, stewardship look or where he is like a teacher and, you know, he's just embracing you and, and some wonderful music that came out of that pairing. And again, it was it was over several 
time periods. It wasn't just, you know, uh, back to back to back. You guys got back together and worked at various points in your careers and always delivered stunning material. Thank you. I I always felt that uh, with with Vangelis, it was, it was pure jazz, you know, like jazz is chance music. And he would start playing the keyboards, I would sing. And we recorded every first take, and then we edited it down. Sometimes a song would sing for 10 minutes, and then we'd edit it down. And we'd always use the first take. He would learn the music that he created and develop it into production. And I would learn what I was trying to sing and develop the lyric and then walk in and sing it. So over a period of week, we'd probably do three or four songs and finish them. I think I think your best-known work with Vangelis would be probably Friends of Mr. Cairo. It received a lot of radio airplay. The first time I heard it, it made me stop in my tracks. It was unlike anything I'd ever heard. And the more I think about it, the more I... I equate it with like a movie for your ears because of the, the movie samples, but it's it's length and breadth. It's just cinema for your ears. Right. Well, Van Gillis had then, by then he, he'd uh, done the film score for Blade Runner and uh, Chariots of Fire. So when we started writing, I, I used to say, just think of cinema, you know, write as though you're making a movie. And within about three or four days, we'd finished most of the songs. I think the the one that I remember didn't uh, we didn't record in London was uh, State of Independence. We recorded that in Paris studio, and uh, it's one of those things. I just walked in the studio. He was playing the riff on the keyboards, and I, sh- I sort of whispered to him, "Is the microphone on?" He said, "Yes." <laughs> and I just stood there and I sang that whole song all the way through. And he followed me. We used to have this energy to always look at each other when we needed to change key or something. And I'd look at him and say, okay, and then he changed key and I'd carry on singing. And by the time we finished that song, it was like 70% there. It was kind of amazing to me. You know, I put together maybe half of the lyrics as I sang it.
like to read you some of your lyrics and get your first impression. Hurry home to your heart. Hurry home to the voice. There are times for interchanges. Be ready for the choice. Hurry home, said my love. Hurry home to the stars. Start a new generation with a freedom that's ours. Yes, it's very, very simple. You know, we have to come home to our state of consciousness within our God consciousness. And uh, that's why we live. I think we live for one reason and one reason alone. And that is to find our true path to God. God within, the, the, the divine. You seem like you're on a continuing quest for spirituality. Can you tell us a little bit about a very special person in your life, Divine Mother Audrey Kitagawa? Wow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's the uh, most wonderful, wonderful experience to be in her presence. Uh, like, I don't know how to explain it more than that. Um, it's a wonderful feeling to be in her presence because she is an enlightened human being, and she travels the world and reaches so many people around the world on so many different levels. And in my lifetime, to find uh, a true um, connection with the divine and then be able to be part of that experience when you hope people that you know are as connected to their own understanding of the divine and, of course, my children are connected to Divine Mother, and my wife, and uh, many friends. But it's just one of those things. It's, it's, it's an incredible, in this lifetime, to have a pure connection with knowledge that there is God, and God is within. It's not out there. Something that's connected to your soul, you're connected to the Divine of all that is. It all starts with each person, then. Sure. You seem like such a calm, nurturing person, yet you've been surrounded by so much drama in your working life. How do you, how do you move past that to continue to be positive and productive? Well, I, I always think of Monty Python. I don't know why. <laughs> anything like that, it helps, you know. Very cool, yeah. Always look on the bright side of life. Oh, you bet. I uh, have a question that a listener wrote in. He wants to know if you're ever going to tour... Uh, the album Olias? Well, it's interesting because uh, just uh, two weeks ago, there was a group of people in, in near Philadelphia. They performed the whole album. And uh, I'm connected with a couple of them. And we're talking about trying to find a promoter and a connection with the, I think with the school system to be able to perform it with local uh, young people. And uh, have large choirs and sounds and visuals and experience. Maybe we talked about next year or the year after we'd love to be able to do it. And of course, I would love to do it. Right, 
tell me our days past we ought to sing of the praises of love and his one hand raised high in the dark total relating appointing close factors of what we regard as the answer lies there and his one hand raised high in the dark has hope then i'll tell him that he has hope oh yeah good another listener wanted to know about your involvement on king crimson's prince rupert awakes that's a mouthful uh from lizard how did the i mean you were just talking about seeing king crimson and then later you're singing with them oh yeah it was their second album bob Fritz got in touch with me and uh i was so happy to go in the studio and sing uh, that's all that i remember i just uh what do you want me to do bob <laughs> and i'll do it and i sang it and uh it's, it's only a few years later. I remember when I was a kid, about nine years old, I used to go to school uh, half an hour early before school started, and I used to go to this bridge where the trains went underneath, the uh, steam trains, and there was always these namers, which were very fancy, beautiful uh, trains with names, and there was one that would come every Wednesday at quarter to nine, a green one. It was a green train, steam engine, and it was called Prince Rupert. Very cool. You, um, you've collaborated with an incredible variety of other artists, and, and in 1987, um, it found you contributing vocals and uh, being in the video for Moonlight Desires by our local boy Gowan here in Toronto. A listener was curious as to how that uh, track came together. Wonderful. Larry, I love the guy. Yeah. Um, I was in a studio in, in Los Angeles uh, working with a friend on some sort of... Uh, I was very interested in... Uh, Sort of uh, learning about Native American culture because you don't get much information in the Americas about the true Native American culture. So I was writing songs about uh, Central American energy and the Toltec and Aztec. And uh, next door was this Canadian singer, and uh, he popped in and said, Hi. And I said, Hi, how are you doing? And I said, What are you doing? And he said, I'm doing a song. Do you want to come and sing? And I said, Yes, of course. Okay. So I went in and sang, and uh, the next thing was, uh, Larry said, I'm, I'm going to do a video in Mexico. Can you come? And I said, sure. So I flew in from London, and uh, there I was on this pyramid, uh, sort of dressed as a Toltec uh, sort of space cadet. It was very cool. I watched it last <laughs> night to, uh, to remind myself of it, and uh, uh, it was pretty, pretty interesting looking back. Thank you. 
questions i've read that you were at some point interested in assembling a trio including rick wakeman and keith emerson and my first thought was hopefully neither one of them wanted to drag their moog modular rigs on stage because that would have been just horrendously heavy but is that true and and what yeah i i, I actually thought that i got in touch with both of them and said it would be great to have you know two keyboard players and a percussion bass player or whatever or, you know a rhythm section but just to go out and do, because at that time I was listening a lot to uh, to Vangelis and uh, I was interested very much in modern uh, soundboards. I call them like uh, soundscapes, and and you know getting really away from sort of rock and roll per se, but doing soundscapes with choir vocalization things. And I was in that sort of space at the time, but it didn't work out. Um, you, you touched on earlier about School of Rock. Um, the first School of Rock has opened up here just north of Toronto, and uh, our radio station, Radio That Doesn't Suck, is proudly affiliated with the school. And uh, you mentioned that it was fun to work with them, and uh, they've issued you an open invitation to come on up and work with the, the kids here. It's been about a month. It's going really well. Can you 
talk a little bit about your experience with School of Rock? Well, first of all, it was more than fun. It was just an incredible uh, eye-opener for me to see 13, 14-year-old teenagers, I won't call them kids, uh, playing Yes music and playing Frank Zappa stuff and playing the Beatles and playing uh, Zeppelin, you know, just digging it and playing it so damn good. So I I went to Philadelphia and and, uh, did a, a weekend with them, and I spoke to the guy who was running the whole show, Paul Green, and I said, listen, if you ever want to do gigs, I'll be, the, I'll be the guy. You know, I'll come along and sing with these people. So we would go on tour with about 25 kids and do about five shows, and, you know, every song you get about seven or eight kids that come on, and then they wouldn't even bow. They'd finish and go off, and another seven or eight would come on and do the next song, and they'd go off with another seven or eight in the next song, and it was really, really, it was just the best thing that ever happened to me because you realize that there is a young energy coming through and they're going to be great musicians and they're going to change the musical landscape. It'll take a while because the record companies are so dominant and now here we are in that wonderful time where they are not dominant anymore and the musicians are able to do their own musical thing, use the internet as a a force to be able to reach people with their music. And uh, the doors are wide open for new uh, progressive music, if you want to call it anything. And there are young kids out there who are so, so talented. And uh, it's a great time to be alive. Absolutely. It's really refreshing to see, okay, kids, teenagers, um, playing music that matters, as we like to call it, music that has some, some depth and some meaning and not just, you know, I don't really mean to slag modern music, but I don't find there's a lot of music anymore coming out that really has that deep connection to uh, to people's souls and hearts. I went to see a couple of bands in... Uh, I was over in Australia, and I saw a band called um, Wilco. Ah, uh, yes. Great, really great band, and they were, they were kicking out the jams, as they call it. They were really going for it. And there are bands out there that are so damn good. I love Battles. I don't know if you ever heard them. No. Battles is a pretty pretty wild, very festival band, you know? Yeah. And uh, they're good. And there's a lot of very talented groups out there. But, like you say, it's, you know, it's very condensed what you hear and what you see. Uh, you only see, basically, it's a little bit like their early 50s and early 60s where... Uh, everything is just organized to make money rather than uh, break away and let the younger people uh, have the chance to express themselves. But there are a lot of young groups out there that are very, very good. Absolutely. Um, so we're going to see you on May the 25th, uh, all the way up here in Quebec, and uh, doing a solo acoustic show. Um, I, I believe that you're going to be playing a little bit of John and Van Gellis as well as some Yes stuff and, and maybe some solo hits as well. I'll be doing, uh, yes, exactly, yes songs, John Evangelist songs, a couple of reggae songs. I'm even going to do Day in the Life on ukulele. Wow. Can't get more real sing than along. that. Yeah. Sing along. <laughs> oh, very cool. Last question before we let you get on with the rest of your day. What, what one person living or dead would you like to have a pint, a glass of wine, or a cup of tea with for 30 minutes and learn more about? Dean Sibelius. Oh, very nice choice. Yeah. And why? I don't know. It's hard to explain because I think it was around 1971. I found a record by him. Uh, he's a Finland uh, composer. Um, created seven wonderful symphonies and a lot of different kinds of music. And from that moment onwards, I play his music in my head. Whenever I'm driving, I hear his music. And I'm, I'm, I'm constantly part of his musical uh, experience. His, his music is so earth energy. It's so beautiful. It's so everything. Very underrated, though. I mean, I, I don't find a lot of classical stations play him exhaustively like they do Mozart, Beethoven, Tchaikovsky? Well, it's, it's, it's kind of normal in a way because they were very commercially 
he was called and very popular. Sibelius was, yeah, was, was not never so popular. Uh, but when people start to love what he does, or are really initiated into his world, you can't live without him. It's a little bit like Stravinsky at times. It's, it's just something that you've got you to have now and again. It's, it's uh, like breathing. I find that with Mahler. A little bit of Mahler goes a long way. It just It's so dark. And, oh, yeah. I love his, uh, his uh, Daggio's, uh, you know, his, his, his ninth, uh, his fifth man. Those so Daggio's freak me out. <laughs> John Anderson, it has been truly a pleasure to speak with you. Um, wishing you all the best in the uh, in the future, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll get a chance to speak in May uh, in Quebec. And uh, anyone wanting more information, go to johnanderson.com for tour dates. Uh, there's some wonderful audio samples up there, and some great videos of you doing what you do live on YouTube. Thank you very much, John, for speaking with us. I wish you well. Thanks. Thank you, Todd Miller in the Vinyl Vault. We'll catch you again next week.
enjoyed that half as much as I did. That was an incredible, incredible honor uh, to interview John Anderson of Yes. And again, May 25th, 2013, Ruin Noranda, Quebec, the World Guitar Festival. John Solo Acoustic playing an evening of his uh, most loved music and including some wonderful Yes material. Go to johnanderson.com, that's J-O-N-Anderson.com, and look for the tour button. We'll catch you next week right back here in the Vinyl Vault. Initiating shutdown sequence. You've been listening to Don Rivers' Vinyl Vault on Radio That Doesn't Suck.com. Produced at Faders on Stun Studios, Toronto, Canada, for Radio That Doesn't Suck.com. Executive producers Don River and Don River. 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 Don River.